Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. We're in that interesting part of the year, draft season, and we're going to be the first of the draft previews tonight for the tight end position. Joining me for that is Voss Laricos. Voss, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Ken. How are you? No complaints. No complaints at all. Baltimore beatdown folks doing well, I'm sure. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about the tight end class. Kind of a thin class, not exactly what the Ravens might hope, being a team that you know, needs a tight end to get back to the 13 personnel that they exploited so well in 2019. Yes, I think they're looking for a targeted skill set, not necessarily a well-rounded tight end. And uh, Eric DaCosta maybe has already found that with the trade for Josh Oliver. Yeah, it's a great point there that the Ravens don't need a do-everything tight end. They don't need a guy who's an inline blocker and a receiver and can, you know, split wide, play in the backfield, be an H-back. They don't need the guy who can do everything. They really do need a guy who can do some very specific things. And I think we'll get we'll get to a lot of that as we talk through these players. What I thought would be a good format for this, Voss, if you're up for it, is we'll just alternate going down our list from one to however far you want to go. Uh, but why don't we stop with it to start with the top guy on your list? Well, obviously, it's going to be Kyle Pitts, one of the few blue chippers in the class, a rare tight end with wide receiver skill. Um, I expect him to be long gone, if not in the top five, certainly in the top ten. That's really going to be a decision for those teams picking five, six, seven. Are they going to go for a Jamar Chase or a Penny Sewell? 
or are they going to go with Kyle Pitts? Um, I don't think the Ravens have any chance to uh, to trade up into range. It more considering his, um, it's more interesting how they would potentially have to match up with him if he ends up on a division rival. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure that that will happen. I mean, obviously, he could end up in Cincinnati, I suppose, but I, I think it's unlikely otherwise for him to end up in the division. But you do hear that a lot on Twitter: is how can't the Ravens trade up to get Kyle Pitts? Well, their total draft capital for this year is less than what would be required for Kyle Pitts. So they traded every pick they had. So that take that basically tells you the Ravens can't trade. Uh, you know, trade their way into the top ten. If they traded next year's number one, even, I'm not even sure that would do it, really. Um, it depends kind of where Pitts goes in the top 10. If they add Orlando Brown to, you know, a, a large swath of picks from this year, I don't think they could necessarily get there either. It would probably be, you know, it would take an awful lot to be too painful for them to consider. So I think we got to get used to in Baltimore, Kyle Pitts not being the guy, but what a prospect. Uh, really the best prospect of tight ends since Vernon Davis, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Vernon Davis is obviously exceptional, put out a, a, a combine that was uh, for the ages, frankly, a tight end at 438 and, and uh, you know, had the size, the speed, everything you'd want at the position and was a good NFL player, not not as uh, as good as I think people are projecting pits. Yes, I think Davis had a great career, and he was a, a combine darling, a local guy too. Um, I guess, and some have even compared Pitts to Calvin Johnson as mm -hmm. the uh, the tight end version of Calvin Johnson. Um, one of those rare prospects. That I guess what there's maybe eight blue chippers. I would say true blue chippers in this draft class, and he's certainly one of them. Yeah, and you're saying any position there. Yes, I, yes. I, I would agree. It's not a whole lot. Um, uh, he won't be 21 until October. 11.8 yards per target with 12 touchdowns as a junior. He can't do a lot better than that. Uh, that's obviously just off the charts. The Ravens record, by the way, 11.04 yards per target, and that was uh, Mark Andrews in his rookie year. No receivers ever had 11. Only two receivers, I believe, ever had 10 for the Ravens, and that's uh, Jermaine Lewis in a fairly limited season and Derek Alexander in 1996. So there's not been a whole lot of that in Ravens history. Uh, and it's one of, the, one of the things I really like to do. That. Pitts, the, the thing that really just jumps off the tape at you is how he sits in the chair to decelerate and cuts out of those breaks. But whoever gets him, obviously, they're getting a great player. Oh, no question. No question about it. Um, I, I think it is going to be interesting to see how these teams decide. Are they going to go with the scarce position? Are they going to go with the best player? There is a, a good deal of uncertainty beyond those first three or four picks. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's let's go to your number two guy. And I think the, the most we probably have the same number two guy, I'm guessing. But how far down do you think? that number two guy is in terms of where he gets drafted. There's quite a fall to Friermuth out of Penn State, in my opinion. He's probably going to be probably end of second round. <clears throat> Excuse me, top of third round, I would imagine. Um, the last Penn State tight end to come out with a strong pedigree was Jasicki, of course, mm -hmm. uh, who's, who's starting to come on in Miami. Not quite lived up to his his billing, but Firemuth, reliable hands. He's a physical runner after the catch, has a really nice stiff arm. Uh, he's an okay inline blocker, not, not terrific. He is athletic. He was a team captain, um, which we know that uh, John Harbaugh and the Ravens always prefer. 
not a great separator doesn't have quick quickness or necessarily a great second level blocker i consider him more of a, a high floor player than a high ceiling player and i'm not quite sure that that would be the ravens best use of one of their day two picks I, I, I maybe had a different feeling about him for the Ravens, though I think you have the draft range right. I think it's low, low two, high three. I've seen people talking about taking him at 27, and, you know, that's just crazy talk. You know, the, the Ravens mm-hmm. taking him with their first-round selection. Um, I, I, I'm not sure, and it would really depend on who's left on the board to see if the Ravens would – he'd be an appropriate guy for them at the bottom of the second round or near it. Um, I think really it's the third round, so the Ravens almost would have to trade back from their second-round pick to make him be a, a reasonable choice. And once you get into that point, there's a lot of teams that need tight ends, and, and uh, somebody might decide that, uh, that they want him enough at that position or need him more than the Ravens do. 459-40, uh, you know, when that's your biggest calling card, and it's not, it's, he has good box-out skills, he, he's good on contested catches. There, there's other things to like about him, but, uh, but you know, some of, that, some of that speed is a lot of what he gives you. I think he can be coached up as a blocker to be that impressive level two, level three guy that the Ravens had with Hayden Hurst, who really knew what he's doing, starting in the backfield, going to level two or level three to make a block, where he didn't have to block in line. That's a good comparison. I can certainly see that. To me, the Ravens have four big needs, and I know we're not going to get into all of them. Before this uh, offseason began, I thought tight end was along up in that first priority or second tier, but then you they extend Boyle for two more years. They bring back Tomlinson, who's a solid blocker. They trade for Oliver, and Andrews, we'll see. Of course, they don't know if, if he's going to accept the, at the $11 million a year, $12 million a year contract, or if he's going to be pushing for 14 or 15 Yeah, I mean, that would be great but if, if, uh, it is if they get him range, signed this year. Right, right. For long term, I think there's a good chance. So I don't consider tight end. In an ideal world, you would try to hit some of those bigger priority positions, offensive tackle, outside linebacker, safety, um, and wide receiver with, with three of your first four picks, hopefully. Yeah. Now, at, at safety, I, my philo- I have a philosophy about safety is that if the great ball hawk is there, you take him and you ignore your other needs. And that's what I wanted them to do um, with either of the two great safeties that were in the class of 2018. When the Ravens are picking 16th, they didn't get a chance at Minka, but they had a chance at Derwin James. Obviously, I, you know, I went off about that on the day. I'm still, still kind of don't think it was a great pick. They did trade down a lot of extra draft capital. Great draft makes everything all right, mm-hmm. right? But they did miss out on Derwin James, who's a terrific player. If they if they were able to have a safety available, safety is not necessarily a place where I'd say the Ravens will not spend their first round pick. If the ball hawk is there at 20, 27, then that's a good place to get him. I agree completely. Uh, on both counts, huge Derwin James fan. I thought he was a top five player in that class. Yeah. And the, it, you, for the rare skill set is where you where you always take the player, I think. Sure. But uh, back to tight ends, um, I'm not sure. I think they're really looking for someone um, who is going to be a weapon in the passing game more than a well-rounded player. Uh, and Fryermuth has that ability, but there are potentially a few other players more with a day three grade who could potentially fill that same role. Yeah, I, I think there, there are a couple too, and I'm sure we'll get to some of those. Who's, uh, you're up next now. Who's the number three guy on your list? 
Brevin Jordan out of Miami is number three, and I was actually a little bit higher on him um, before his pro day, which was underwhelming, yes. particularly the agility drills. Um, they have RAS, uh, which is a, a good uh, resource where they relative athletic score, um, and he did not fare well in the agility. What he is is a yak. He produces a lot of yards after the catch. 21 broken tackles on 105 catches per PFF. Um, he's best on horizontal routes. And I really do think Yak is an area where the Ravens could improve. Their yards after the catch from tight ends and fullbacks will group Reichardt in. Uh, 651 yards in 2019, 272 yards in 2020. Um, so that's something that they lost some with Hurst and with some of the other players. So he would bring that. Uh, but he's kind of a tweener, maybe a little bit of a fullback build, perhaps best utilized in maybe a West Coast scheme, I think. Yeah, he, he put on weight for the, for the pro day, and I think that might have been the problem, that, that he came out at 6, I think it was 6'3", 245 was what he measured at for his pro day, and he was somewhat smaller than that beforehand, and then he ran 462 on his pro day. I know people try and pack on weight, so when they get on that scale or when people see him in their underwear or whatever, they, they see a, you know, as bulked up a tight end body as they can. This is an area where I think this guy's actually hurt himself with mm -hmm. this. I think it'd been fine to come in at, at 231 pounds or 228 pounds even at, at, on his pro day and, and run, you know, 443 and then been that guy who you didn't know whether you want to use him at wide receiver or at tight end. But give an NFL team that option, and you're, you're opening more doors for yourself. The way he did it, you know, came out, ran 462. He said after the fact, no way I can run 4-3 four, four, in my sleep. <laughs> so I, that's, uh, it, you know, it may be true. 10.7 yards per target for 2019 and 20. Those are fabulous numbers. You know, you'd love to have a guy who in that many targets uh, can produce at that level and uh, also has very, very high numbers on a per-route run basis. But the yards per target is usually the number I focus on for receivers at the college level. Sure. And he was a blue chipper, you know, one of the best performers other collegiate ranks the last couple of years. Just not necessarily a traditional tight end. And really, this class does not have very many of them at all. Yeah. Does he make sense as a guy who, it, let's say he's got a wide receiver's body, or that's the, way, that's the weight at which he plays, which, by the way, if he has a wide receiver's body, it's the greatest wide receiver body of all time if he's 6'3", 225, or, or 230. But, I mean, he's, he's, he'd be a monster. He'd be Daryl Boston, mm -hmm. you know, basically. Um, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't he still be able to fit into a 13-personnel scheme? And I think that, that th is still going to come up because the Ravens have a lot of uses that are not the first in-line guy. They've really got that covered twice with Boyle and Tomlinson. Sure, sure. And Greg Roman, he could find a way to fit him in. I mean, it is a tight and friendly offense. But if you're just using him as a big slot, then why not just use a traditional, why not use Miles Boykin as a big slot? Mm -hmm. I don't know. In yeah. my mind, I'm not sure how much sense that makes. That's, that's, that's a good question. That's a really good question because one of the things you're trying to do with 13 personnel is make the opposing defensive coordinator say, what the hell are they trying to run here? Who do I need to put on the field? And if you put a guy on the field that's a, that's a big slot and they're – their choice always is going to be to put either their fastest safety or a big corner against him, then you're right. It doesn't give you the kind of advantage that you would have if there's at least the risk of him being in line. Exactly. But, exactly. Yeah. 
All right. Well, you know, obviously, excellent prospect. He's he's number three on my list as well. Why don't you just keep going here? As long as we're the same, I don't think there's any reason for us to switch it up here. Okay. Um, moving on to Hunter Long from Boston College. He is a up the seam, contested catch kind of guy. He has pretty good build-up speed. Decent route runner, savvy route runner. Not much of a blocker. Doesn't have great play strength. Um, but he is a pretty natural pass catcher. Um, I think he would, out of most, I guess Friday with as well, but most of the guys we've mentioned, he would probably have some decent insurance value to Mark Andrews as a potential injury. Um, he's kind of the jack-of-all-trades type. I think he's a most likely a fourth or fifth rounder, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. I, I think you've got the roundabout right there. I, I, I pegged him for a fifth round pick. Um, there, there are real questions about whether he's really got that strength to play in line. I, I don't when scouts are on that, I often say, okay, there's, that's okay. You can build up for a year. You can use an NFL weight room, and you can often pick up some of that that you're missing. Um, I also am not always sure how people know the difference between 6'5", 250, and 6'4", 255, and 6'6", 255, say. You know, how they can really tell, like, what that body type looks like. Um, you know, the old Chris Collinsworth thing about what they really want to do is see you in your underwear when you weigh in and you and you had your official measurements taken. That is really where you tell a lot of that in terms of determining whether the guy has, mm-hmm. has great strength. And you want to see it on, on film, too, to make sure that it shows up. But and then you have to worry very much at the college level about disparate levels of competition and exactly who he's pushing around at that level and, uh, and whatnot. Yeah, I agree. Long is a guy who, who, like Andrews, was a big part of the Boston College offense as far as a lot of the passing uh, went to him, a lot of hyper percentage of their total targets yeah so he could be a good option uh maybe not exactly quite what they're looking for but certainly would not be a bad selection especially because we don't know how the uh the extension conversation with mark andrews is unfolding behind closed doors um so somebody to keep an eye on the next gentleman on my list is trey mckitty from georgia uh he is an upside player he is uh, a move tight end really uh, can create some mismatches. Again, maybe sort of like a jumbo slot. He does have pretty good uh, breakaway speed where he can catch the ball underneath on a hitch and turn up field. Um, I'm pretty familiar with him because I'm a Florida State fan, and he started his collegiate career at Florida Hmm. State. Um, And he did have uh, 18 yards per reception at Georgia. Um, He makes people miss after the catch, but he does play a little bit soft. I will say that. Um, and he did have a knee injury as well. Tad small uh, for the for the tight end position. Not not super small. And this is this is one of the hard things to do because there's all kinds of guys between six two and six four who end up being able to play tight end in the NFL at a reasonable level. You, you can start with Antonio Gates if mm-hmm. you if you really want to find some of these people. And it's very hard to sift through that talent. But it's kind of like trying to find the six four tackle who's going to be good who may not even get a chance because of that sort of size being a setback for him. Uh, McKitty, I, he wasn't in my top eight, but I agree with you. He's, he's the kind of player who has some upside, and he's, he's the kind of player where the Ravens maybe find a way to, to fit him in. I, I would think if he drops to the UDFA ranks or maybe even to a seven, I think he's a guy the Ravens consider one way or another. And if you're him, 
this is a great place to be. In fact, if you're any tight end, for the same reasons you hate to come here if you're if you're a wide receiver, this is a great place to come if you're a tight end. Sure. Um, so uncertainty as far as where his draft range is. I know he's in Bucky Brooks' uh, top five at the position. Hmm. Last time I saw his publication, he's had some third-round buzz. Um, and I think at that range, that's too rich for my blood. But somewhere in day three, potentially, as an upside player, I think he could be a good addition. All right. All right. That's, uh, that's fine. Nine number four guys different. He's the first difference. So let's talk about that one for just a second. I like Briley Moore out of Kansas State. Uh, 6'4", 245. So not too dissimilar in terms of the size metrics to McKitty. Uh, ran a 464 at his pro day, which is good if true. And I'm very skeptical about the pro day um, uh, measurements Mm -hmm. this year, Uh, but that would be very good if true. Um, He probably has... Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Non-optimal size if you're talking about wanting to use him in line, but he's another one of these guys that I think really could work uh, in terms of how the Ravens find a way to use him, whether that starts in the backfield, he starts split. uh, Some solid explosiveness there. He did not have good yards per target the last two seasons, and that is kind of a drawback. It would be a red flag for a lot of people. so I, my thoughts on him in a nutshell, I'm sure I'll have something to respond to when you say something. I have to be honest. He was not highly on my radar before uh, our, pre, our pre-show um, your, your notes. I do definitely need to look into him more. Um, a, lot of, a lot of prospects to dig through this time of year, trying to find time oh, to sure. fit them all in. Um, but it sounds intriguing from, from what I've heard so far. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that Ravens would probably consider in the fourth round or later. So, you know, definitely a, a day three guy at this point. So uh, that's cool with that. Let's go to your number five guy. Um, I think we should touch on Tommy Tremble here. He's a bit of a, I guess, polarizing prospect, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, he, apparently he's picking up steam as a day two pick in, in some circles. And I know he has quite the following amongst some of the uh, the Ravens loyalists we converse with on Twitter. They're they're thinking he would be a great pick in the second round. Uh, out of Notre Dame, he's considered a very good blocker, um, pass protection, and in the run game, not necessarily in line, but uh, reaching second level. He does have high end athleticism. He tested really well. Very underdeveloped. He's raw. 35 career receptions total. He played second fiddle to multiple tight ends at Notre Dame. He also had some bad drops, questionable hands. 
if you didn't have Nick Boyle, I think he would be in play, but I don't see him adding a lot to the Ravens at this point. Yeah, the buzz is that he would be a great fullback for a team that wants to commit to that, that that he would be a guy. And frankly, if the Ravens having Ricard, I just don't see that as an option at all, that they would look to pick up a pure fullback guy. I'm happy with a guy who can play in line 20% of the time, in the backfield 30% of the time, and split 50% of the time. I'm happy with that. But I don't think they, they want a guy who's going to be a 70% of the time a fullback and, and you know, maybe motioning to get to get advantages for, for some of the time. I just don't think he really would, would fit the need for that. Now, that said, I agree. He's the fifth best prospect in this draft. Um, again, a little bit undersized at 6'4", 240. He really is more of a Kyle Juszczyk guy. Mm-hmm. And there's been some talk about him being a more explosive receiver. Kyle Juszczyk, if folks maybe know, don't know this, until he came along, the longest reception for a fullback in Ravens history was 30 yards by Ovi Mihaly at Tennessee in 2006. Juszczyk had three catches longer than that, all between 31 and 39 yards. So he really had some explosiveness as a receiver that we kind of maybe didn't notice uh, when he was here as a player and certainly has been a, a, you know, a fine player in two tight end-centric schemes. It's just tough to, even for a quote-unquote mismatch fullback, if you want to call him that, it's tough to spend a high pick there. It really mm-hmm. is. check was, what, a six-rounder, if I remember correctly? Four. check was a four. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm mistaken there. Um, but Reichard, again, you have Reichard. You found him as UDFA, converted him, mm-hmm. and uh, and paying him a good, solid salary. And he's, I expect him to be with the team for, for several years going forward. Right. I, I agree. I think there's I, I even have some excitement with with Ricard about his ability to catch the football and what he can do after the catch. And maybe more importantly, how you create a mismatch on the outside that threatens more of the field again by by having big on small uh, by him running that flat route has just been been uh, fairly impactful. The Tennessee All game, right. right? The playoff game that drive. Uh, y- yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. a beautiful drive, wasn't it? Yes, it was. You, you go ahead with your number six guy. Okay, uh, Kenny Yaboa, Ole Miss. He's a playmaker, 19.4 yards per catch and six touchdowns after transferring for Temple in only eight games. He has a pretty solid vertical speed, can make some circus catches, run after the catch. Um, on the downside, it's got a little bit of a weird body type. He has a pretty very skinny legs for a tight end. Um, had some concentration drops, and um, I don't think he would hold up very well as a traditional inline blocker. I, I would agree with that. I mean, he's got some gangliness to him. I think some of that is also what I like, and people are going to laugh at this again. Arms are over 34 inches. That is offensive tackle length arms on a guy who's 6'4". So he's really uh, over length as a player bear, but that can really help him getting out to level two, getting dictating that first contact and level three as needed with players who have much shorter arms. And, and if he, he it should be able to help him when coached properly to keep his feet well. And if you com- combine that with his 15.9 yards per target as a senior, which is just an absurd number. I've never seen anything like it. Um, you know, you saw 19.4, whatever was his yards per reception, but he mm-hmm. caught a high percentage of those balls mm-hmm. and it's 15.9 per target. So uh, just absurd. I thought I saw that he did not run on his pro day, which is another one of these telling me that if he came in at 6'4", 250, he probably packed on weight to get there. 
So he probably is naturally 238, something like that, and, and didn't really want to run after picking up all that weight. Uh, sure, that makes sense. I'm looking forward to hopefully in a few years now where they have miles per hour on the field um, that are tracked with GPS and we're not trying to decipher who, how, is it 39 yards at your pro day and, and all this other stuff and does he play, does he run as fast as he, or you know what I'm saying, as fast as he plays. Um, cause some of that's uh, a little bit much, but I do think, um, as like a six round pick, he, he does intrigue me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that'd be a great place if the Ravens could get him there. Uh, you know, I'd be all for it. There's a lot of players that the Ravens will want for need come in that sixth round. And once you get to that point, a lot of those players will end up being UDFAs and you go ahead and you take a chance, you wait on some of them. And, and uh, you know, if you've always available as a, as a UDFA, I think the Ravens will scarf him in a second. Uh, they still have a couple guys, you know, Wolf and Breland, who did not see the game day roster or the, not even the game day roster, the 53 last year who, who could be helping the team as well as you mentioned uh, uh, the pickup from Jacksonville. Sure, and there's room on the roster for four tight ends, I believe, especially if they take away one spot from running back Mark Ingram's departure. Um, mm-hmm. So that's it, a good place to invest, and, and you have some special teams utility, usually with tight ends as well. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think the Ravens more and more are going to be forced into having to have that dual utility of having a, each of their special teams players also be able to contribute on offense or defense. It's just you don't have enough spots to be playing games with pure special teams players anymore. Absolutely agree. All right. Yeboah was number eight on my list. I have one other guy at number seven, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him really quickly, and that's Bates. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Bates of Boise State, uh, 6'6", 255, uh, may or may not be big enough to play in line when it really comes down to it. You never know and from a strength perspective how that will play out at the NFL level. A 4'8", at his pro day is not exciting. That was obviously the big disappointment of recent news on Bates. I watched a uh, an interesting uh, uh, video of that and it, obviously the, in Boise on TV there, they're trying to really play up the local players and whatnot, but it was interesting to, to hear them talk about his 4840 and they had to really dance around the words they wanted to use for it. Uh, kind of had low yards per target numbers at Boise State. And, you know, you think of that as being a run-and-gun Western, uh, a WAC conference, uh, uh, you know, pass-fest. You'd think he'd do pretty well. Yeah, especially with this track and field background, I thought he was going to test better. I think he was a hurdler and uh, did some other track uh, competitions. Um, he has good size, soft hands. He can high point the ball pretty well. He's a developmental player. Uh, I think an intriguing, another intriguing late round project. All right. Well, those those are the guys. I mean, I have other guys on the list that I looked at. Who else do you have that would be other guys you think the Ravens ought to look at? Uh, Kylan Granson out of SMU is interesting. Uh, probably the H back size, but he really can separate downfield. Um, he's really plays well um, with the ball in his hands, run up to the catch. He mm-hmm. kind of turns up field uh, almost like a Dennis Pitto, where he just immediately swivels up field and, and goes. Um, and he can, but he can make defenders miss with his quickness. He's willing, but although probably outmatched as a blocker, he has 
a lot of versatile uh, attributes, and he just—he's one of those guys. You just look at him. He's like—he's a, a football player, and I think Greg Roman uh, could find a use for him again if the if the price is right and he's available late. A worthwhile player to try to develop and see if he can help your team one way or another. Yeah, he's another guy that in 13 uh, makes the other team think about who, what are they trying to do because he could be in the backfield. You could have him as the second tight end on the end of the line. What I wouldn't want Granson doing as being the guy who has to block a defensive end or an outside linebacker because he's there because he's really too small for that. Uh, 10.6 yards per target, uh, effectively playing most of his time in the slot uh, at SMU. So there's, there, there are things to like about him and there are things from a developmental perspective that a lot of these guys can do something well, but there aren't too many guys who can do most of the elements well. We didn't even touch on any of the pure big guys mm-hmm. so far in this draft, but there are a couple of them too. Uh, Gary Angelina of NC State comes to mind as uh, you know a six-seven guy. Uh, he ha- did happen to have 11 yards per target last year, but I don't think that would hold up in the <laughs> NFL level. Right. There's there's a few. Uh, Poljan out of Virginia as well. He's one of those just big blockers. If you can find a Tomlinson and resign a Tomlinson, then I wouldn't I wouldn't advise investing draft capital, especially obviously when you have Boyle as one of the best blocking tight ends in the entire league. How many blocking tight ends can one team use? No, you can, and then Ricard also lines up at the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. from time to time. And if you want to get the most out of uh, Patrick Ricard and the, and the amount you're paying him, I mean, you really need him to take more than just pure fullback snaps. That's not enough. Uh, the Ravens, when they lost Boyle last year, they did run into problems and they didn't know exactly how to line up with that sixth player. It wasn't like the offense, by the way, lost anything in so doing, but they made choices between it being an offensive lineman or a tight end or having an extra receiver on the field sometimes, but they often had a tight end who just no way, no how were they throwing the football to him on the field. Tomlinson was that guy. Uh, Wilson also really didn't have any targets to speak of while he was playing. Besides that big drop in the end zone, right? Yeah, (laughs) Pittsburgh, damn it. (laughs) That's true. I mean, you want the players that can threaten in multiple ways, but I'm not sure that these other big blocking types would be threatening as receivers either. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I got one other guy who who is a you know a real dark horse that I think it's it's a matter of thirteen personnel being a fit for him here, and maybe this means he drops to UDFA for the Ravens, or maybe it means that somebody else will pick him up before then because he has some intriguing characteristics, and that's Pro Wells of TCU. Uh, you know, six three two forty nine. Uh, he ran a four eighty three forty, so that's going to hurt him. Uh, What's even worse is that his explosiveness stats, meaning the broad jump and the uh, vertical, were really bad. And you don't know if his brother-in-law was making those measurements at the TCU <laughs> Pro Day. So it's really one of these questions that, that really knocked him down a little bit in my mind to a, to a pure developmental guy. Maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. He's the kind of guy, bring him to campus UDFA, and it's really a free lottery ticket, but I wouldn't waste a draft pick on him. Agreed, agreed. He was a little bit higher on my list before. It's, uh, it's hard to fake a, a jump, I think, at the Pro Day. And mm-hmm. with those kind of measurables, He's probably one of those, to use a baseball term, a 4A kind of player. But, yeah, as a UDFA, I'm sure the Ravens will probably hit, bring in at least one, if not two. Another UDFA, uh, Quentin Morris out of Bowling Green, potentially. Another one of these 
a little bit undersized, um, limited athleticism, but uh, but made some plays and and maybe he you know fills a spot on the practice squad or the back end of the roster and and maybe he gets a chance one day he could do something. Right. There's uh, there's one guy on my put list and uh, put option meaning I'm I'm I want to buy the right to sell this guy. Okay. okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to explain to the fans. I know you know Voss. <laughs> Miller Forrestal of Alabama obviously has had a fair amount of play on national television. You know, being where he is, ran a four ninety five forty, and he's still a little undersized for a tight end at two forty and six five. It's just it's not a body type that I think is going to work at the NFL level. Uh, I would be surprised if he works out. I'd be very surprised if the Ravens were, were to even try to get him into camp with those kind of measurables. Sure. It's a very, again, it's a limited, a targeted uh, skill set that they could use. And to me, that's really when the game flow goes, game script goes off script and you're forced to play catch up. It would be nice to have another tight end. Can you giving Lamar Jackson targets? Um, so I think it's really a vertical tight end with speed is the player that would be I would be most interested in finding. This draft class doesn't have too many of them. Uh, but again, hopefully Josh Oliver, uh, if healthy, can provide that. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. I think another thing I would like to see there are two characteristics. One is the possibility to get from the backfield into level two and three and being an effective blocker. I think that brings a lot. But you've also got to combine that with a zone beating ability on play action. So when you do line up in the slot, or even when you line up in the backfield, you got to know how to sit down or take advantage and exploit that linebacker who makes the misstep. So find space for Jackson to find you easily. Present yourself for the football quickly on a lot of these play action plays that that Jackson creates something uh, out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Willie Sneed was uh, that was his specialty, so yeah. we do have a little bit of a something to replace there. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was you. I was doing the show last time where Willie Sneed was signed immediately after it, and we we're just talking about, well, it would be great if, the, if they got him. And then, darn it, we record the show, and you know it's not going to air for another week, and you know, Willie Sneed got signed by the Raiders. <laughs> yeah, my, he was my daughter's favorite player. She she sent him a picture, and he's autographed it and sent it back to her. She has it framed in her room. She was upset that he left. Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, very much appreciate having you on, Voss. Tell, tell people where they can find your route. I am the co-managing editor at Baltimore Beatdown. Um, we are in the midst of draft season right now. I'm working on a, a four-part collaboration with Joshua Reed, where we are doing what we call Love Hate. And we go position by position and pick one prospect we love and one prospect we hate for the Ravens, uh, either that they're a great or not a great scheme fit or that they are maybe overrated or underrated in our minds. So uh, we're having fun with that right now and really enjoying the, the lead up to the draft. One of the best parts of the NFL calendar. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, that's for sure. It's always it's the it's really the NFL New Year, and, uh, and it's wonderful to see it. Josh will be on the show to do the wide receiver position for the draft preview with me, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Josh is on a lot, so uh, uh, does a good job out of uh, Alaska. We, we, we <laughs> he's one of the same people, one of the few people who's on the same schedule as I am. I'm very much a night owl, but we usually record at one or two a.m. Baltimore time because that's the right time for Alaska to be recording there. He's a, he's been a great addition to our to our crew. 
repeat them. Hard worker, very hard worker. Yeah, he does. He's prolific, isn't he? So uh, anyway, I appreciate having you on. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, send me an email, uh, filmstudy21 at verizon.net or at filmstudyravens on Twitter, just with your ideas about any topic you're passionate about. I want to be very inclusive. If you want to be on, I'd love to have you and talk about something interesting about football. Uh, Thanks again, Voss, for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.